At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome everyone to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and with me as always is the super producer, Jason. Greetings, everyone. Hey, um, you know, we have a pretty pretty cool show today um, with a great guest, and the guest was brought to us by another guest. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, is if you know somebody who's got a good sighting, a good story, um, you know, or yourself, if you have a good side and a good story and you want to, and you want to talk to somebody about it or come on the show, um, in my estimation, Jason, those are the best shows, right? I witnessed yes, yep. coming on. Yeah. Yep. So, so come find us, um, on the, from the shadows.com our website. You, there's a contact, uh, button there. You can send us an email or you can send me a message uh, through our After the Shadows forum page or the From the Shadows Facebook page. Uh, or you can find me on Instagram. Just go to the From the Shadows podcast Instagram page, send us a message, or find me at Shane Grove Author and, and send me a message. Because we really love to talk to uh, talk to people that have eyewitness sightings or know somebody that's got a good story and uh, want to come on and maybe tell a story they've heard or something. Um, we, I mean, I can't say it enough, Jason. Those are the most popular episodes by far. Absolutely. They are. We love it. You know, yes. Don't we be love shy. It. If you, uh, if you're shy, we'll, we'll guide you through it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So, and, and we have, 
kind of a celebrity guest today. No, I'm not going to put down our last celebrity guest, Tim Loveless, and say that this celebrity guest is uh, more well known than him. But I, but I think he is. So from the uh, Fox hit series King of the Hill, we have Hank Hill with us. Dang it, fellas! Now I told you, I provide this community with propane and propane accessories. <laughs> <laughs> so for all our fans that are like, what is going on? We just wanted to get it out of the way. Our guest's real name is Bill, but he has been told, and not by just me and Jason, that he sounds like Hank Hill yes. from the show King of the Hill. So we just wanted to get that out of the way so that while you're listening to Bill, Tell his tell his story that maybe that's all you're thinking about is Hank Hill selling propane. Yeah, so we're just giving you a little forewarning ahead of time. <laughs> so we want to thank we want to thank our 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 recent guest author Max Hawthorne for bringing us Bill because um, you know Max is like, hey, I have this I have this good friend Bill. He's a Vietnam vet. He has some some stories from his time in Vietnam and, and since he goes, would you like to talk to him? And of course we'd like to talk to him, <laughs> uh, especially, uh, especially a vet, you know, we, we have a soft spot in our heart for people who have served the country. So, so Bill, um, hey, welcome to the program and, uh, and thank you for you. your service too, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your thank service. Thank you. And appreciate that. So let's, so let's get into, what happened to you in Vietnam that then happened late? You know, we'll go down that. I'll let you, I don't want to give it away. I'll let you tell the story and, you know, just, All let, right. just go ahead. Well, this is what happened in Vietnam as relates to my UFO sighting. <clears throat> I can't give you an exact date. But it would have been late in the summer of 1971, July, maybe August. I was uh, at, well, I was on the, the uh, Cameron Beach, not far from the Air Force Cantonment area there at Cameron. It was an area where we used to go when we were off duty. We would, you know, wade, swim, hang out and drink beer, uh, sometimes even surf cast with the equipment we signed out of the motor pool. You know, a hangout place, beautiful beach. Anyway, I was standing there with two other fellas, and this was I'm going to say, you know, later on in the afternoon. And this is what I saw. We were looking out toward a couple of small islands off the coast. And as near as I can remember, one of the guys had just made some remark like, man, I'll bet you after the war, there's going to be some kind of fancy hotel here. And just about that time, I saw a streak that looked like a meteor, okay? Now, 
if you can imagine um, the horizon line as a line from the nine to the three on a clock, you follow me? Yep. yep. This streak, this streak, the streak started on the upper right, say around the one, and went zooming down toward the three. It was like I, I remember clearly. It was like a reddish orange streak, no sound at all. I thought it was like, you know, a meteor shooting star. But as it approached the horizon, it stopped like a point of light for, wow, you know, just a couple of seconds, and then went streaking back over toward the three. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Yes. This was above the islands, and, you know, once I saw it begin as a streak, it didn't disappear. It wasn't like one shooting star and then another one. It literally stopped as a point of light, made an acute diagonal back. And I remember when it faded out, you know, I sort of turned to those guys and we looked at each other and I said, what the hell was that? You know, or words to that effect. And one guy says, well, I don't think it was a chop or anything like that. We discussed it a little bit, and all three of us determined that we had seen a UFO or the equivalent. And to this day, I'm thinking the only thing it could have been was a UFO or some kind of experimental craft way ahead of anything we'd ever heard about. And that's kind of the last, but wouldn't that be the last place in a war where you'd pull out an experimental craft to f- try to fly? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> try to fly around. Because that's if that's you, what I'm thinking. Because, I mean, I know that's not real dramatic. It's not a close-up yeah. view or anything. But at the time, I, and still to this day, I'm, I'm convinced that it had to be a UFO. Well, there's, there's still nothing to this day that that we really know of that does what you just described. You know no. what I'm saying? And, and if you just thought the power, you know, some of the major powers in that conflict, if they had that type of capability, they had used it to end the conflict real quick. Yep. Absolutely. Think. If they had, if they had that technology and let me put it this way, if they wanted to end the conflict quickly, they could have done so, it, it, which kind it, of leads, which kind of leads into the next, the only other sighting that I had. Which well, you, was you say you say that man. like all of us have sightings, like the only other one, I got, like the only other one I got. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll put it this way: in in my life, I'm 71 years old now. In my life, I've run into people who literally claimed to have everything from one quick sighting to people who claimed to have been abducted numerous times by several different 
species of aliens. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I've had two sightings like that in a lifetime and well, they convinced me that there's really something to it, that and some other things I've experienced. But the next sighting I had was in Alaska, Juneau, Alaska. I lived there from the summer of 1990 until the summer of 2000. And this sighting took place in the fall of 1998. And to this day, it just raises the hair on the back of my neck. A lady friend and I were having a late afternoon after work type picnic meal at a place called Auk Bay Recreational Area, Auk Rec for short, which was north of Juneau, okay, on the main road. And after we had our meal, um, well, I had thrown a blanket up sort of against this sand dune, and we were leaning back on that, just looking at the stars because, you know, it was getting late. The stars were coming out. We were talking about everything under the sun. You understand. Hmm. And all of a sudden, she said, look at that, and pointed up in the sky. And from the right, here came five lights, five really bright white lights in a shallow triangle formation almost like you were looking at lights on the bottom of one of those Delta wing aircraft the military uses now. Okay. And you remember this was in 1998 mm-hmm. and those lights were far enough apart that I thought to myself, well, if that, you know, if, if that thing was low enough, we could see the lights that far apart, we should be hearing some noise, but it was absolutely noiseless. And then I thought, well, if it's high up enough that we can't hear the noise, that thing must be huge, just enormous. Well, we both watched it for a few seconds. I was trying to figure out if it was an airplane or what it was. Then all of a sudden, the center point of light stopped. And the two on each side executed a curve maneuver, okay? And then the two on each side started doing every kind of maneuver you could possibly imagine at high speed. They were doing curves. Then they started doing, like, acute angles, fast. And I thought to myself, my God, you know, this can't be possible. I'm looking at, got to be looking at UFOs again. And they just kept doing this. I remember at one point she grabbed me by the arm and, I mean, she was 
digging her fingers into my arm like she was terrified. But I'm watching this. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way they could possibly be doing those maneuvers without, you know, pulpifying any kind of human pilots. And this went on for two or three minutes while we're watching this air show. And then all of a sudden, the center point, what had been the center point, starts moving very slowly again. The other four went back into their former positions, so we're back to that, you know, shallow angle or pyramid, okay, triangle, whatever you want to call it, like a delta wing, and then they started speeding up a little, speeding up a little more, and then they really hit the gas, and they took off so fast they were gone. The only thing I could liken it to would be like when the Starship Enterprise goes to light speed and just disappears, that was it. Wow. See, to this and day. And the next thing she anything. said to me was, I'm sorry? Now, I was going to say, yeah, to this day, we don't have anything that can do that, you know, that we're aware of. Absolutely not that we know of. I mean, and and she, she kind of. Well, I forget her exact words, but it was something along the lines of what the hell was that? What were we, what did we see? And, and I, so we did through everything in my vehicle, back down toward Juno, we discussed it and we, we, mutually decided that there again, the only thing we could possibly have been looking at was either UFOs or some sort of experimental craft far beyond anything that, you know, lay people like us had ever heard of. And she asked me, should we tell anybody about this? And I advised her that if he ever told anybody about it, it would have to be somebody that she knew very well. Otherwise, they'd think she was some kind of a nut. <laughs> and myself, myself, uh, I mean, she was rattled. I was to some extent, but I mean, she was, the poor gal was really rattled. It, it, changed her whole perception of reality, I believe. And um, anyway, I only asked one other person up there, or I should say told one other person right away, a fellow I'd known for some years, you know, a good friend of mine. And at that point, he told me that he had heard a lot of strange stories since he'd lived up there and he had had a close sighting of a UFO himself several years before a close sighting while he was out hunting. And he advised me the same way I advised her. He said, I wouldn't talk to anybody about this. You know, he said that, uh, who knows what that is. He said it could have been some kind of experimental craft, but I doubt it. 
and we just kind of left it go with that. Now, did, so, did he did he uh, describe to you his close <clears throat> encounter? Yes. Yes. He said that what he saw was not a flying saucer. It was a, a flying, like, lozenge-shaped craft, almost like a Zeppelin, is the way he described it. It like that, like like, the, like as big as a zeppelin, or just it was smaller. No, look, the same, the same type, the same type of shape. Literally, like a zeppelin shape with several what appeared to be windows spaced along the side. He told me he had been out hunting and had seen this thing just coming by, right above the trees. Had a good look at it. It was moving slowly, and then it just took off out of his field of vision behind, you know, the trees. I mean, you got to understand that there, most of the places you're hunting is just covered with, you know, fir, spruce, pine trees, okay? But he had a clear sighting of it at fairly close range and then lost sight of it. And uh, when he told me about that, I believed him because I, like I said, I'd known him for years. I'd been hunting with him, camping with him, all that sort of thing. He wouldn't have lied to me. Well, how, I mean, considering your experiences, how could you, how could you question, you know, really? I mean, <laughs> I couldn't. You, uh, <laughs> now, the, now the one thing I, there's a couple things I want to ask you then. So sure. at any, t any time, like, did you feel like they knew you and your lady friend were there or that no. you were just witnessing something that they, like they thought they, you know, whoever it is or whatever it was out there that they were doing what they were doing unencumbered by anybody watching them? Honestly, they were at such an altitude that I doubt very much if they would have known anybody was there um we didn't have a fire and no light or anything like that i mean it was fairly dark by that time as i've said and based on the fact that i heard no noise at all none i would say they, they were at a, a really high altitude imagine okay imagine you're in a plane even 3,000 feet up, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and it's dark, you're not going to be able to see anything down there on the ground, you know, visually anyway, unless there's a bonfire or some kind of light, mm -hmm. okay? And I think uh, whatever was piloting those craft, mm -hmm. indeed, they were piloted craft, had no idea we were there. Seems like one of those uh, Tic Tac crafts, by the way you describe it. Those what? Uh, Tic Tac. I'm they sorry? refer to them as uh, Tic Tac uh, crafts. Yeah, I was just, I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask, Jay. Like, so, so you've seen. So, how does that make you feel now? So, for all these years, you've seen a couple, had a, a couple different 
experiences. How does it make you feel to see that uh, the government releasing like the Tic Tac video and some of the other video that uh, the pilots and the in the Navy have encountered? Well, quite honestly, and I, I mean this very sincerely, I have always believed that there are elements in our government and our military that know what's going on to a much greater extent than average run-of-the-mill lay people like me know, you know. And I think that, at least up until recently, they were trying to acclimatize us to that knowledge, just releasing it slowly in little dribs and drabs so that there wouldn't be some sort of mass panic. You understand me. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I agree yeah. with you, Bill. I, I have that same inkling that uh, they know a lot more than what we do about what's going on in these skies. Well, did you ever did you ever read about the RAN uh, the RAN think tank report? I think it was back in 1960. No, I don't. I don't remember that one. Oh, you need to check into that. Back in 1960, the U.S. government, as I understand it, literally commissioned the RAND, uh, for want of a better word, think tank to come up with uh, their idea of what would happen if, big if here, if the public at large found out that there were extraterrestrials observing Earth, you know, beings of a higher technology than we have. And the report basically stated that it would cause mass panic and oh let's see uh the collapse of some social institutions uh basically any of our religions would be at risk uh the power structure might be at risk i mean that is the the political power structure the control structure might be at risk if the general public found out that there were super high-tech beings um, observing and or interacting with our planet and our government not being able to control them. You follow me? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So, so yes. Um, I think that all along, We've been conditioned slowly through media, you know, to to understand that something's going on and prepare us for it so that if and when they ever see fit to do the big reveal, won't panic. Uh, things will just continue on as they have in most ways. That's my thought, anyway. Well, well, the big surprise was though is that they released. You know, they came out. They two or three different occasions now, basically said, "Yeah, there's something," and nobody even cares. That's the 
that's the that's the well, crazy I, thing I is <laughs> well but you know what i'm saying yeah but I know you know what, what i'm saying, saying. i understand there hasn't been gasoline shortage nothing you yeah. know like, like the the world didn't end like I, I i understand that in the 60s when they did that report times were way different and yeah. now i think i think over the years and and you're right like i've heard the the stories of of how Hollywood, some some of the uh, directors and stuff in Hollywood were given information so that they could do movies that would kind of, for lack of a better term, desensitize us towards what aliens might be, what they might look like, what the crafts might, uh, how they might that act. That is a good term. Yeah. That is a good term. Imagine, yeah. imagine in your mind, based on what happened, with Orson Welles' War oh, yeah. of the Worlds mm -hmm. broadcast. Yeah. Now, imagine just extrapolating from that. Let's say that in 1960, the U.S. government had come right out and said, folks, um, we regret to tell you that we are being uh, observed by craft from some other civilization. We don't know where they're from, but they have a technology far beyond anything we can match or defend against. It would have caused mass panic. Oh, yeah, it most would social have caused structures would have collapsed. Some societal collapse. Yep. Right. But now that they've had another 61 years to show us the television shows and the movies and, you know, prepare us in various ways with science fiction, media of all kinds, uh, from comic books on up. Um, I think they've, they've got it almost to the point where they could say, well, folks, there's a UFO landing on, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, the mall in Washington, D.C. at noon tomorrow, and they just have a bunch of people with beer and lawn chairs show up to take <laughs> videos. Well, well, you yeah. you, talk, you talk about uh, the Orson Welles thing, but then you fast forward to, what, 79, when Close Encounters of the Third Kind comes out? And you oh, yes. And, and I know there's no question that Steven Spielberg <clears throat> is a genius when it comes to filmmaking, but that's almost uncanny how um, accurate some of the stuff in that movie is yes. well, that we've come yeah. to, that we've come to learn from eyewitnesses and stuff. And because think up to 1979, like, okay, maybe he had a, maybe he had gotten a, copy of all the files from project blue book or something and had, had been able to read. but he had but to have I, some, yeah. I mean, he had to have some kind of uh guidance i think in, yeah. in how he was rep representing the aliens and how we'd interact with them right well let me just mention this though okay mm -hmm. let me just mention this as a 71 year old man I remember seeing just dozens and dozens of movies 
about pins, flying saucers, etc. Um, I'm going to guess the first one I ever saw was the thing from another world. James, you remember yes. the one with? Oh yeah, yeah, one of my yeah. favorite movies. Now, yeah, all those movies from the thing from another world, all through the fifties mm-hmm. and the sixties, with one exception, portrayed aliens as menacing beings who were out to do everything from conquer the world to steal our women from breeding pur- or for breeding purposes. Mm. You understand? Yep. The only one, the only one that portrayed aliens in a sympathetic light was the day the earth stood still. And it came the from outer classic space. classic with Michael Rennie, yep. right? Yep. And remember, don't forget the, uh, it came from outer space. That one also. Cause they actually, oh okay yeah. yep okay yeah Bill I Bill Jace, Jason is a B movie junkie yes so. big time gotcha big okay. this is a whole nother, well, still. this is like a whole nother podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> well still you understand you understand yeah. that the great overwhelming majority of those movies portrayed aliens as a menace yep a danger to Earth and then. When Close Encounters came out in 79, everybody was astounded because the alien beings were benevolent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And since that time, we've had just about as many benevolent aliens as malevolent aliens yep. depicted in movies, television, etc. You know, that's anyway, just so I much still proof. think we're being conditioned. Yeah, I agree with you. There's so much proof out there that at the very least there has been contact with uh, elements within our government or, uh, or some other country's government because we know just a little too much in order to start instituting programming like this to try to prepare mm-hmm. the masses of people. I mean, there had to be some kind of, and like in that last report that uh, Shane had alluded to earlier, uh, they said they got like nine different crafts that they know that did not come from, from, uh, from this earth. Yes. I mean, it's as incredible. Well, I'm going to tell you this one in a way. I hesitate to tell you about this. It it was not a sighting. It was a personal interview I did with someone almost, well, let's see. Actually, it was uh, a little more than 26 years ago. This gentleman that I spoke to was very well known to me, and I can guarantee you, hand on a Bible or any book you want, this man was a very practical, pragmatic, no-nonsense guy, uh, high-ranking in the U.S. military, U.S. Air Force, to be specific, a veteran of over 30 years' service, okay? We were talking over lunch. And I asked him, you know, since, you know, I, I prefaced that 
with, well, you know, I've been interested in UFO phenomena, et cetera, for many, many years. Can you tell me anything about the rumors uh, of, you know, the alien craft at Area 51 or the alien bodies that are supposedly uh, held down there at Wright-Patterson? You know, the whole mm-hmm. hangar 18 yeah, hangar story. 18, yeah. I said, and that S4 yeah, I said, facility, there... which is outside of uh, Area 51. Yeah, right, several right. different secret locations. Yep. Right. Well, I asked this gentleman about it, and he looked me right in the eye and he said, Yes, there's something to all that. And I asked him what he could tell me, and he said, Quote, I can't tell you a damn thing. He said, Bill, when I retired from the Air Force, I had to sign a lot of non-disclosure agreements. Mm-hmm. I retired with a nice pension, benefits, all that package. He said, so <clears throat> I can't tell you anything. I can't tell my family, definitely not you. He said, all I can say is there's definitely something to all that. And when I was in the service, I knew several pilots personally whose only job was to be on alert much of the time to scramble after and, you know, pursue or investigate UFO sightings. He said, uh, I've known people who've seen them visually, seen them on radar, about everything you can think of. Mm. And I said, okay, I understand. You got to protect yourself. But is there anything else you can tell me? And he looked me right in the eye, and I remember these were almost his exact words. He said, Bill, I was warned to secrecy, so I can't tell you about anything I may have had my hands on or seen personally or papers I read about these things. I can't tell you. Mm, mm, mm. And just the way he said it, you know, (laughs) and the look on his face, he was conveying a message to me. Right. (laughs) <laughs> that I have yes. seen mm-hmm. things, touched. Now, uh, it, now, now, the, here's the crazy thing, though. If you had that conversation with him today, he might be. I mean, it might be a whole different answer from him. Considering well, that, that gentleman's passed away, that gentleman has passed away years ago, and I did though speak to his wife shortly after that. I think it was the day after. I asked her if she had always known where her husband was in all the years he was in the military. 
And she said, oh, no, there were a couple times he was gone for several months, and I didn't know where he was. I wasn't supposed to know, but he would call me once a week to check uh, how everything was going, and I had, you know, I, I could have gotten a hold of him in case of an emergency through the commanding officer of the post. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, okay. You know, and I just left it at that. So, wow, one can draw their own conjectures. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, and like I said, it's like, it's just crazy for all those years that there was so much secrecy and, and now within, like I said, the last, like the, like the, your friend, he would probably not believe that the, that the Pentagon came out and made the statements they made or that they released those videos because look at the hoops they made him jump through. And, you know, now, oh, yeah. just, you know, that's that, that's so, so it absolutely makes you, it makes you wonder then in the next five years, what, what's, the, you know, what else are we going to, be told, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, and you know, not to get too political, but I think that the prior administration was much more agreeable with the idea of releasing yeah. information. Yeah. I, I feel much that more agreeable too. to the idea of, the release of information. So, and we got a new well, branch. I of hope the I live long enough to that. get some answers. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, really? Yeah, I, mean, I hope I live long enough to get some answers. I'd really like to know. I mean, we got the space force out of the past administration, and um, why would why would they have created that? that division of the air force, if there wasn't something that we needed to be concerned about and statements were made by, uh, different politicians that, um, basically they said that, um, we need to be the first to control the space. So without saying what it is, but they have to be the first to control something that's out there. But, but here's the thing. Okay we're not in control of space and there's nothing we're going to do. That's going to put us in control of space. I agree. We don't have the technology <laughs> for that. So, so mm-hmm. that's just a silly, or we haven't, silly we thought. haven't figured it out yet. I don't know if that's a silly thought or not. No thought is silly in my opinion, but if we got technology, if whether they want to call it alien technology or something that's not of this world, but if we can't figure it out, well then it's no good to us. Well, that's what I'm mm, saying. Is we're, back engineer. We're, we're 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 already way behind, and if you're right. already if you're already that far behind, how do you think you're going to catch up enough that then you're going to pass the people you're trying to catch? Well, just you know? just put well, it this not. way. Uh, yeah, a lot this of our military has black projects that are at the minimum sixty years ahead of what's released to us, the general public. So we know we have smart people and we got probably a lot of money invested in trying to figure this stuff out, whatever it is that we got. And the fact that we have that kind of money and those type of intelligent people working on it and they can't figure it out. Uh, you know, that's, that's saying something. Yeah. That's, indeed it does. 
Oh, by the way, I wanted to let you know, okay, just yes. just as an aside. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he left you his diary. I'm sure. And explained I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you will probably hear different stories from other people at some point in your life. But I did ask that woman about the moon landing. Uh, you know, I said, well, you know, a lot of people seem to think that's a hoax. And he laughed and he said, we were there. It's not a hoax. We were on the moon. Ooh. And See, I, you know, who's I, not going to, you know, who's not going to want to hear that as, as a former guest of our Stacy Brown. He's ready well, to throw sorry. down. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> but I will say Stacey this, too. I asked him, I said, well, if we were on the moon, why didn't we continue the lunar programs? Right. And, he, and he said, he said two reasons. One, there were a lot of people who wanted us to spend the money here on Earth you know, improving segments of our society. I said, okay, I'll buy that. And he said, the other one, he said, I heard from people who should know. I don't know for sure, but I heard from people who should know. That's the way he put it. That we found things on the moon that weren't supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that rumor as well. And I said, really? He said, yeah. There were some things there that we didn't put there and the Russians didn't put there. So we figured maybe we better not bother them. And <laughs> you, you, I wish you could have been there to hear the man, you know, and you believe him just as much as I would. Yeah, I would have loved to have Absolutely. been there for that conversation. Oh, yeah. You might have thought of other questions to ask him. But, uh, well, again, I hope we get some answers. Well, that's why we appreciate having you on, Bill, and anybody else that can contribute to this conversation because that's the only way we're going to get answers. Even if we can't get it through confirmation, maybe we can get it through, uh, you know, people saying enough similar things that, uh, you know, that there's something to it. You know, it gets us closer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Every little stick on the pile makes for the bonfire, you know? Indeed. Well, in the in, yeah. the, in the spirit of discovery, Bill, the other subject that you're going to talk about is one that I know a lot of our listeners, because let's, let's just face it, Jason can attest to that. Bigfoot is the rock star when it comes to... Cryptids. Yes. Cryptids, okay? Yeah. And... So I, I, you and I had this discussion. It was, it was really, really interesting. So I want you to kind of share your journey starting in Vietnam through today of, of discovery of Vietnam's version of Bigfoot, which we would, we know is the rock ape. The rock apes. Okay. Well, let me just start way back in time. Okay. Long story short, through the intervention of a maiden aunt, I learned to read at a very early age. And by the time Ivan Sanderson 
published his very first article about the Bigfoot phenomenon out in California. You remember, that came out in True Magazine in late 1959, I believe. My dad was a subscriber to that magazine and several others of the same type, Argosy, et cetera, and a lot of the hunting and fishing magazines, and he would leave them laying around. Well, all I can say is, as soon as I read Ivan Sanderson's article about Bigfoot and then the follow-up article that came out, oh, four or five months later, I was hooked. So I started reading everything I could get my hands on on the whole Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and cryptids in general phenomenon, okay? And so when I went to Vietnam, I knew some of the questions to ask. I didn't realize I was going to run into any sort of phenomena like that over there, but due to the kind of job I had in Vietnam, I was in an excellent position to hear stories from army personnel and some Marines coming back out of the field. Okay. Anyway, I started hearing a few of these stories about the rock apes that they had encountered. And I listened to the first several stories kind of skeptically, but then I thought there has to be something behind this. So I started really talking to these guys about what they had encountered, what they'd heard, seen, uh, the, the type of creatures that had, you know, pelted them with rocks or made a lot of noise and ghosted them when they were out on patrols, that sort of thing. And I just kept hearing more and more stories from guys who were seemingly very credible. And looking back on those stories, the thing that strikes me is that when I would ask those guys then and subsequently for the last 50 years, why there wasn't more of a an excitement about it at the time. They almost universally said that, well, since they encountered these things, they figured that scientists knew all about them. Just like they know about chimpanzees or orangutans or howler monkeys or something like that. You know, they figured that it was a well-known type of animal so it didn't rock them, you might say. It didn't bother them. They didn't know anything about cryptid species. You understand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now, this now is the we, way... when we say rock ape, when you say rock apes, though, right, There's two. there was two different distinct types that you heard. There about. were two types. There were two types I heard about that were well described to me. The smaller type, <clears throat> the smaller type was usually described to me as 
something like, you know, a, a slimmer version of a chimp, no tail, just like three and a half to four feet tall, you know, stringy, wiry, muscular, but without a real long prognathous face like a baboon, you know, more like, you know, a semi-human or chimp-type face. You could tell it was an ape, though. You know, short-ish legs, real long arms, canine teeth, the whole thing. They would pelt you with everything from gravel to sticks to feces. They'd make a lot of noise if they thought you were encroaching on their territory. And the guys out in the field tried to avoid them whenever possible because obviously if they were making a lot of noise, they might alert Viet Cong or the NBA to the presence of a patrol. You understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, so hey, shut the guys up, man. tried to avoid like, them. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like, yeah. like shh, be quiet. Keep, keep your feces to yourself. We're just trying to. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Now, one of the most the, the strangest things that I heard, though, uh, long story short, it's probably been about two and a half years ago, pre-COVID, I was set up at a gun show, and I got to talking to an old Marine vet who was over there in Vietnam. Our uh, our tours of duty overlapped. We'll we'll say it that way. He was over there, and he was way up north. Uh, you know, not far from the DMZ. We got to talking about things, and, of course, I asked him if he'd ever heard any stories about rock apes, and he laughed, and he said, I didn't have to hear stories. I saw them all the time. He said they were all over around our containment area. He said we had to put padlocks on our hooches to keep the damn things from coming in and trashing our hooches and stealing stuff. He described them in great detail to me. Unfortunately, he'd never taken any pictures of them. I certainly wish he would have. I had to given him a reward for some pictures. Oh yeah. But yeah, he told me, he said these things were the, you know, extremely smart for monkeys or apes or whatever they were, you could throw them something like, you know, just a a strip of cloth or an empty beer can or something like that. And they would just sit there for minutes, looking it all over, sniffing it, checking it out, trying to figure out what it was, playing with it. But then they usually throw it back to you. And, You know, they were more of a nuisance than anything else. And I said, well, don't you think they could have been dangerous? And he said, oh, yeah. They had some teeth on them. He said, yeah, you wouldn't have wanted one to get a hold of you, but they weren't that big of a deal to us. You know, now out in the field, we wanted nothing to do with them because of the noise they'd make. You know, the typical story. We talked about it for quite a while. 
And I told him at that time, well, I gave him my name and phone number, and I said, talk to some of your old buddies if you're in contact with them and see if you can find somebody that might have taken some pictures of them. I said, I'd, I'd be glad to reward somebody if they had some bona fide pictures of these rockets. Now, the other type that was described to me <clears throat> would be more in line with what people think of when they think of Bigfoot. Not that big or anything. We're talking pretty much average human size, but upright and looking much more like a hominin. Something along, well, if you're familiar with those old National Geographic reconstructions of maybe what they used to call uh, Austral, excuse me, Australopithecus, mm, along yes. that line. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some kind of, of hominin, but far removed from us in the evolutionary process. That was the other type that was described to me, but by fewer people. So, you know, law of averages working out, I figure they are much less common than the smaller type. Yeah. Now, now what, what were some of the interactions with the bigger ones? I mean, because uh, were they... S because what I'm, I'm kind of like, so the smaller ones, almost, uh, I mean, to me, it almost sounds like they were a ape or a monkey that just had not been discovered or acknowledged, right? I mean, right. Or, they, they sound, they sounded to me like some sort of large, tailless or very short-tailed monkey, you know, um, that was, you know, just not discovered, as you say, not known to science. And the hominid, or hominin, I guess they'd say now, type does seem to be some sort of uh, relic species, okay? Mm -hmm. um, the, the encounters with those that I heard about were usually brief. Someone would, you know, catch a glimpse of them through the brush or they would hear some chattering um, and finding footprints, that sort of thing, but no attacks that I ever heard about. Hmm. Now, now, did you ever hear is, of anybody shooting any of these creatures? I've, yeah, uh, I do remember a couple stories like that. And this is one thing that sticks in my mind. Okay. Again, in my position with hundreds and hundreds of transients coming through battalion area, all that sort of thing with me briefing them, et cetera. I saw guys trying to bring home every kind of souvenir you can imagine. Uh, reams and reams of contraband pictures, uh, you know, what you would call trophy pictures of dead Viet Cong or NVA, things like that. Mm -hmm. I would bet money right now 
that somewhere here back in the world, you know, somebody has or somebody's uh, heirs have some old picture albums with literal trophy pictures of dead rock apes in them. Particularly mm-hmm. that bigger kind. If some guy ever shot something like that, somebody in his unit would have whipped out a camera and taken a couple of pictures. That's just the way some of these guys were. I mean, again, that happens in wartime. It happened in World War II, maybe the Korean War. I know for a fact that kind of thing happened in Vietnam. And I've been circulating the word myself, you know, just word of mouth for years. Like I said, if somebody comes up with bona fide pictures, discernible pictures from that time period of either species of these creatures, uh, I'm sure it would be worth money to them. Let's oh, put I'm it sure. that way. I'm, I'm looking yeah. on the, uh, the internet here and um, people that have claimed to have seen the big ones, you know how they get the artists to make the drawings. And if these drawings are even remotely (laughs) accurate, I mean, these things, they have an error of intelligence about them. The big ones. Oh yeah. They're much, like I said, they're much more, much more humanoid than the small type. Yes. Again, you would liken them the the stories I heard, you would liken them to something along the lines of, again, those old National Geographic magazine, uh, you know, what would I say, recreations of what an Australopithecus would have looked like, uh, that, that sort of being, okay? Yep. So... I wish I had, I wish I could say that I had seen either type personally, but I have not, but I do find the whole, the whole thing fascinating and Very much so, believe yeah. me, believe me, Vietnam is a type of place you could find cryptid creatures. Look at uh, a few years ago when they uh, discovered that, uh, what do you call it? The Vu Quang ox that large type of uh, bovid-looking antelope, five, six hundred pounds. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, it is. You're right. That's, this is the kind of place where you would find something that the rest of the world would think doesn't exist, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at any map, well, there's a lot of places of like there's a lot yeah. of places you, like that over there that yeah. yeah yeah you look at any map of Asia there are, there are huge tracts of territory where people just don't go right you know so there could be anything out there um, well same way when I lived up in Alaska like I told you I lived up there for ten years I got a chance to talk to a lot of people up there. Some people completely laughed off the idea, but I did have people, both, you know, both uh, Caucasians and Native Americans, mm-hmm. tell me that 
Yeah, they believed in them. And some Americans even told me flat out, yeah, they're, they're out there. You don't see them very often. Some people never see them at all. But if you see one, leave them alone. If you find you've gotten into their territory somehow, back out of there, you know, just leave them alone. Um, you know, they can be dangerous. Treat them just like you would a bear, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't bother one. Don't startle one, you know, okay, that's fine by me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll exactly. leave them alone. I could, I could go on forever with some of the stories, you know, about things I learned up there, but, uh, don't want to hold you up forever. (laughs) But one thing, one thing I can tell you, one thing I can tell you for absolutely sure, having been an outdoorsman for most of my life and loving to camp, fish, hunt, hike in the woods, all that sort of thing. Based on what I now know and based on the fact that I have have met people who have been mauled, for instance, by a bear. In fact, one of my best buddies out in Wyoming was mauled almost to death by a bear a small sow grizzly back in uh, August of 2009. I'll just put it this way. Anytime you go into an area that is known or suspected to have creatures of any kind that can prey on human beings, you better be armed with something powerful enough to take out the largest predator in that environment. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you get in there and you need it and you don't have it, you might not be coming back out. Right. And frankly, when we're talking about the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomenon, in most places that would support wolves, bears, or mountain lions. Anywhere on the North American continent, any type of terrain that would support those predators would support Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree yeah, with I that. I definitely agree with yeah. that. But, but Bill, that's when that's why I go out into the woods. I only go with Jason because I'm faster than Jason. <laughs> so I don't have to carry. Yeah. I don't have to carry a gun. But, I don't have to but, carry a gun. But Jason carries a lot of firearms with him. <laughs> at least Good. one on the hip and one strapped across the back. Oh, so don't, so what you're saying is you're going to shoot me as I run off? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not going to say wow. anything. Wow. <laughs> so before <laughs> so before we get to the to the last story, which is 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 going to be, I think, the favorite of everybody. I just want to point out, Bill, you're. You know, the, you've done a lot of, of research on the rock ape thing just from the point that you heard eyewitness testimony immediately, you know, within, you know, a short period of time. Oh, yeah. And from people yeah. who just didn't even think twice about it, like they didn't know they were telling you stories about cryptids. And, and I think no, that is what, yeah, I think that's what lends 
so much credibility to those stories is they were just being yeah. matter of fact about something they ran into, not like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. You know, no, it's, and, it's exactly I could liken it just to just to this. Uh, like if I knew a person here in central Illinois and we were talking about, you know, hunting and he was to say, well, yeah, I was out there. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, I accidentally jumped a 10 point buck. I'm pretty sure it was a 10 point buck and boy, did it take off. Yeah, I'm going to believe that's what he saw. He got a good look at it. And, well, you know, it's a deer. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way these guys thought of it. They had no idea it was a cryptid. They figured everybody knew about these things. Well, especially if something is there throwing stuff at you. Okay, there's, sure. there's even a bigger difference between jumping a buck and having it take off and saying, oh, wow, I was startled. But to have something standing there and interacting with you yeah. in a threatening hooting and, and not, yeah hooting and screaming and making noise and picking up handfuls of dirt whatever and just throwing it at you yeah definitely yeah i yeah. think that's so, a right there that's all the warning but, oh definitely yeah yeah but but oh, yeah but the but the point is is that is a much longer experience even than your buddy saying i jumped a buck Buck gets oh, up, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's I 10 agree. seconds. Yeah, 10 seconds. You're talking to guys who, who, who it was such a nuisance for these things exactly. to be out there. And yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's the stuff that I love to hear because even if it's the smaller ones aren't what we're saying, oh, it's big, but think about something that's four foot tall, three and four foot tall standing there throwing stuff at you. It don't right. matter if it's 10 foot tall. It's going to be frightening. Anything that you don't, I mean, a four foot primate is powerful enough to rip a guy to shreds. Pretty know. much. Yeah. And here's the, the most, the most frightening part about it though, in my mind, after listening to those guys was the fact that they're out there in the field and in some cases, when you're in the field, you're supposed to be out there just as unobtrusively and quietly as you can possibly be. And then you run into several of these creatures that are just given out with screams and screeches and, you know, given the alarm and throwing stuff at you. And you're thinking, oh, my God, they're letting every Viet Cong within about three clicks know that we're here. You understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, again, that's why I say somewhere, somewhere in this country, somebody's got some kind of photographic or physical proof of these creatures. I So spread the word, fellas. If it, if anybody has any of that type of proof, you want to get your hands on it and have it authenticated, you know? Yep. Anyway. Definitely. As well, and you think as many people involved in that conflict that were out there from both sides, uh, there's got to be something. You know what I'm saying? There, there has there to be happen. something. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, well now, you mentioned that other 
yes. incident. Yeah, let's 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 have the cherry on top of this episode. In my All right. <laughs> let's have the cherry. Okay. Again, this gentleman who told me this story, I believed him to be very reliable and truthful. I worked with him in the millwright trade. In fact, we went through an apprenticeship together way back in the 70s. Uh, I knew him pretty well. We worked on quite a few jobs together. And one night we were just talking about all sorts of things. And he said, Bill, you believe in all that UFO type stuff, don't you? And all that. He said, you, you used to read books about stuff like that. I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I said, you know, why do you ask? And he proceeded to tell me the story of what he saw one night right here in my hometown years ago. And he absolutely swore this was true. He prefaced by saying something along the lines of, you might think I'm crazy, but I hope you believe me. And I urged him to tell me what it was. Well, he was right here in my hometown. He told me that he had just turned, oh, wait, let me back up. If I remember correctly, he told me this was in the summertime, okay? So it's fairly well into nighttime, and he had just turned off one of the side roads onto a street that is called Audubon Drive. Just like, you know, the famous bird illustrator, Audubon Drive, here in my hometown, heading toward one of the main streets of my hometown, which is called Court Street, okay? He made this turn, and he hadn't gone very far at all when he saw something running across the road, and he slowed way down, and he told me that he saw in his headlights, standing there in the middle of the road, just looking at him, a little man. And he told me, you know, after I was questioning him all along, okay, but the way he described this little man to me, he said it was look, looked like maybe two feet tall, but not a dwarf, proportioned like a normal adult man. And I said, was this thing wearing any kind of clothes? Or he said, yeah. He swore to me that it was wearing some sort of dark-colored boots, green and brown clothing, not like camo, but just like, you know, clothing. And standing there looking at the car for several seconds while he was looking at it, and he said to me, Bill, I thought I'd just gone completely nuts. And I said, were you drinking or partying or anything? He said, no, no, I was sober. I saw this right in the headlights, got a good look at it. 
And I said, it couldn't have been some kind of trick or perspective. No. Right there, a little man, about two feet tall. He said, I slapped the car in park. I started to get out of the door. And I said, what the heck were you going to do? He said, well, I don't know. I just wanted to get a good, better look at it, you know. And he said, as soon as he opened the door and started to step out, it took off running. The same way it had been running, it ran across the street and down into this little depression, like you would call it a gully or ravine that was pretty well, you know, brushy at that time, you know. And he said he took a few running steps over there to see if he could get another look at it. He could hear it running away through the brush, but couldn't see it. And he was hollering at like, Hey, Hey, you know, type that just kept, it just kept going. And he was pretty shaken up by the whole thing. He got back in the car, drove home, thought about it numerous times. He told me before he ever said anything to anybody, but he figured if anybody would, believe that he'd seen something unusual i might so he told me and as i say that's you know that's the story um personally i believe he saw something that really rattled him yeah i believe that i know it would i know it would have really gotten to me if i'd seen a two-foot tall man running across you know, a fairly major road late at night. Um, I got to be honest with you. When we talk about little people like that, that, oh. that shakes, that kind of shakes me up worse than hearing about Bigfoot. You know, I mean, that's... I can understand that. I mean, yes. that kind of... Um, <sighs> It kind of freaks me out. Like I'm looking here in the office and I see like at least four different places where a two foot dude could hide. Okay. <laughs> There's yes. no place Bigfoot's hiding in here. Okay. Maybe in the closet. You're right. Okay. But a two foot, I, it, and here's the thing is, is, is you go back to native American stories. Yes. And not only do they talk about Bigfoot, but they talk about the little people and they talk yeah. about the little people more so in the present tense <clears throat> and how they are out there and they're like, you know, they're, they're mischievous and they're, you know, causing trouble. And, and, and then you just go back to over in Europe, especially where you talk about gnomes and mm-hmm. fairies and yep. trolls. And, right. And so to me, the little, the the little person, the little people, the little beings. I mean, there is definitely something to that. No matter how crazy that sounds, I understand. And it, and it sounds saying. crazy. It sounds crazy to say that, but there's so many stories about that phenomenon. Yes. Yeah. Modern. I, modern I, I absolutely stories. agree. Yeah. Well, you have to understand this too, you know, and you kind of alluded to it when you mentioned hiding. Now imagine 
you're out there in the woods. Maybe three or four people are out there in the woods. If there is a seven or eight foot tall, anywhere from 400 to say 700 pound hominid out there, it is going to be a lot more noticeable, you know, Mm -hmm. than a little person two or even two and a half feet tall. Oh, you know, a being that a being that size could hide in the space that a good sized buck rabbit could hide and just observe you from the brush and you'd never know it was there. You're freaking me out, Bill. You're freaking me out. (laughs) Well, also remember, remember this now too. think about it. You got, let's say, okay, let's say a 500 pounder like Patty, you know, the star of the uh, Patterson Gimlin film. Mm -hmm. That's going to leave some very large, deep, noticeable tracks in any kind of loose earth, mud, sand, anything like that. A little person, if you figure out using the, the, you know, the uh, cube square law of animal proportion, a two foot adult, you know, scaled like a human being would weigh what? Something like 16, 17 pounds. Yeah, not They're going to leave at all. a yeah. real small track, very almost unnoticeable. Anyway, and the last thing I'm going to say about that is I'm sure that you've all seen uh, Native American lithic artifacts, you know, chipped, mm-hmm. uh, napped, uh, lance points knife blades, arrowheads, yeah. that sort of thing. Yes. Now, how many how many tens of thousands of little tiny, anything down to about quarter inch long, so-called bird points are out there? I've oh, yeah. seen frames, I've seen frames full of a couple of hundred of those little tiny flint or chert points. Now, who's to say what size being made those? Right. Could have been Native Americans making all of them as bird points. Then again, there might be some of them that were made by a much smaller race of people. Mm -hmm. No way of telling because they're hundreds, even thousands of years old. Right. We don't know. So unless somebody finds some kind of a, for instance, like a cave burial of any of these tiny people, like they used to find giant burials all over, you know, during the westward expansion of the Europeans, the settlers, I'm sure you've heard all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we find that, we don't know for sure. But if you think about it, though, if you found a small set of bones like that, you would just assume it was a little animal, right? I unless mean, you, you found the skull, unless you found an almost complete skeleton, or unless you found, let's say you found a skull 
or partial skull, you know, uh, a very small size that had, you know, late adolescent or adult dentition, then you would know that something was definitely up. Yep. Wow. You follow me, I'm sure. Oh, I know. I'm oh, following yeah, you. Absolutely. And, and it's yeah. and I'm looking under the desk here to see to see if there's some guy hanging out there. I just that that really just that really freaks me out, man. I'm just guy got Well, be I can understand I can understand <laughs> how I can understand how it would. And um <clears throat> Because if there's one of those, there's got to be tens or hundreds of uh, hundreds of those in a. In well, an area. it's just like, it's just like you know. Now, now Max Hawthorne and I have discussed this several times, and I've had a chance to talk to other, what you might call amateur cryptozoologists, and everything I've ever read or heard leads me to believe that to have a viable population of Bigfoot or Sasquatch in North America, you would have to have at the very, very least 1,500 individuals. And some people take that all the way up to 5,000. Some people say you'd have to have a minimum of 5,000 of those creatures in North America to be viable. Now think if you want to extrapolate that to little people, it would, it would virtually have to be the same. Anything less than that minimum population of those creatures and species wouldn't be viable and it would just die out due to inbreeding, etc. Okay. So if these things do exist, there's probably quite a few of them out there. So somebody's going to have to, unfortunately, whether in the case of little people, Bigfoot, whatever, somebody is going to finally have to come up with a type specimen, you know, some incontrovertible proof, yep. a body or part of a body that is demonstrably and provably not homo sapiens sapiens right so you know time will tell time will wow. tell now in the in the case right. of the giant skeletons i've read enough about those and i'm sure you have too i'm convinced that there's been some sort of intervention proof has been confiscated and just put away or destroyed. You're absolutely right. So that, yeah, so that the the normal narrative won't be upset. Right. You understand what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I we 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 have uh, and I have tried. Uh, I've tried to get some some uh, so you know some experts or some people that are very knowledgeable on that on the show because I think that would be. Uh, I mean, it'd be a great episode to talk about that. So absolutely. Absolutely. So I keep trying. I keep trying. I keep trying. I keep trying. We're uh, hopefully I'll hopefully I'll be able to get somebody to do that. But so mm-hmm. hopefully but, uh, so. But I'll tell you what, Bill. This is uh, this has been a great episode. I we I know Jason 
I mean, I can tell by the, I can see the smile on his face from, from here. Um, this is, you know, you've shared some great stories and I mean, we, I know. Yeah. I'd like to thank uh, you for coming on Bill. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been great. You know, if anybody yeah. else that could share anything and would like to get it out there, uh, uh, send yeah. it our way. It'd be perfect. I definitely yeah. will. And I, I, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. And again, let me just say in, in closing, spread the word. If anybody has any proof out there from the Vietnam War of any kind of cryptid that they encountered in Vietnam, I don't care if it was a weird looking snake. The <laughs> world needs to know about it. Absolutely. So, yeah, 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 yeah. We could be will... doing some real good here. Yes. Yeah. I I... So I hope people respond to this. We're going to put it out there on the forum too. Yeah. And I, appre- right. and I appreciate your, your literally a lifelong pursuit of, of learning about stuff that most people would just scoff at. So I, I, we, I appreciate that, you know, from an early age that you were uh, interested and in, in thirsted for, for whatever information you could find, because look where it's, you, you accumulated a lot of good information that might've got lost. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I appreciate yeah. that. So, so Bill, thank you very much. And, um, look, we'll, we will, we will, you'll be the first to know if anybody contacts us with any Rocky. Well, absolutely. I would yeah, appreciate that very much. Yeah, Trust me. Yes. yes. Yep. We'll talk to you. So I thank definitely you, Bill. will. Thank you, yeah. Bill. Thank you. Thank you you yeah. have a, have a good evening. Yeah. You do so, the bye-bye same. Now. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.